0: We're reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Maker and Redeemer. Amen. St. Paul, in his, uh, in his young adult years, uh, his early 20s and early 30s, was a devoutly strict keeper of the Old Testament's laws. And he was convinced that Christians, this new group of people called Christians, were wrong. They were dead wrong. They were dangerously wrong. In their assertion that Jesus of Nazareth was, according to Christians, actually the Son of God come to earth as a man who didn't die for his sin but for ours, and who, risen from the dead, blesses sinners unto new life here now and eternal life hereafter, not because we're so good at keeping God's laws and not sinning, but because faith in Jesus shows us how great God is when it comes to forgiving. So strongly did Paul believe in this absolute and even damned wrongness of those who did believe in this Jesus, that by his early 30s or so he had become an ardent and even in his understanding righteous, absolutely righteous persecutor of the early church, which included being on site and giving his personal approval when Stephen became the first Christian martyr, stoned to death by the religious right for preaching Christ not as the rewarder of the righteous but as the savior of sinners. I call them the religious right, not as a comment on their political convictions, but rather as a comment on the conviction that when it came to religion, they, and they alone, were right. When Paul, however, and a bunch of his enforcer goons, got permission to take a mission trip from Jerusalem to Damascus to round up some Christians to persecute there, Paul, by his own description, had some kind of a literally blinding encounter with the risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ himself, the glory of whom was so brilliant that, as I said, Paul found it to be literally blinding. And when he found out that the light was Jesus, Paul knew just like that, that in fact he had been wrong. He'd been absolutely dead wrong about Jesus Christ. And he faced down in the dust. Now he waited for the comeuppance he knew he deserved for being wrong. He waited for the death he knew he deserved for his sin. I mean, things having been ex- the way they had gone, he had he, he'd thinking he had been exactly right and justified. After all, he had, in fact, been a party to murder. But then he didn't get what he deserved. He got rather the invitation, the summons, to put his faith in and to live his life for not religious rightness with which we judge the sins of others and oftentimes in the process judge ourselves to be superior to others, but rather in Jesus, which he came to understand meant putting his faith in a God who so eagerly and passionately forgives. He spent the rest of his life, maybe twenty-five or thirty more years, doing precisely that. He hit the road and went from town to town, not now to persecute Christians, but to preach Christ, to preach the good news in the language that he he actually constructed this language and and began to use it. The good news that we are justified—that's the word Paul used—and we are. Like when you justify the margins, they're lined up straight, Um, that we are made straight and right in our relationship with God, not by perfectly, rightly keeping God's law, because nobody's perfect and nobody can do that, but we are nevertheless, he said, brought into a right relationship with God, who alone is perfect by grace, said Paul, through faith, said Paul, in Jesus Christ said Paul, in whom we sinners discover that we are perfectly loved and perfectly loved. We are forgiven our sin and we are clothed in the perfectness of Jesus. Paul's MO for the rest of his life was to go to different towns and regions and stay there long enough to get some believers up and going as Christian churches. And then he would move on and then he would keep in touch with these former congregations he had started with letters as that was needed. And those letters, which um, depending how many Paul wrote, there's a little debate on that, um, comprise about half of the New Testament. One of the places Paul had preached and established actually several congregations was in an area called Galatia, which is in the north central part of what is now called Turkey. And for the next few weeks of worship, we're gonna be reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians um, and the letter he wrote after moving from there, um, a letter which the Bible's good with titles. This letter that he wrote to the Galatians, it's called Paul's letter to the Galatians. You know, this is inspired text. What occasioned this particular letter is that Paul, after he had moved on from Galatia, some other preachers who, like Paul, had been Jews, were Jews, but had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they had moved into Galatia immediately to inform the Galatians that Paul was wrong and had misinformed and misled them. Yes, God loves you, they said. Yes, Jesus saves you, they said, but there are rules, they said. We Jews have got a whole Bible full of rules, they said, and Jesus, after all, was a Jew, they said. And if you don't start following the Jewish laws, you're not truly actually saved at all. They liked to mention specifically the Old Testament's food laws, which meant not eating anything like pork, which was judged to be unclean, and also not hanging around with people who were unclean, which included, by the way, all non-Jews were unclean. Jews referred to non-Jews as Gentiles, who, even if they did believe in Jesus and were baptized, still had some uncleanness to them, until in the case of males anyway, they were circumcised as the Jewish law absolutely unequivocally required. Paul got word of that. Paul got angry about that. And some might even say, inadvisably, he wrote a letter while angry. And the angry letter he wrote is the Bible's letter to the Galatians. If you go home and read it, you'll hear him start out, and he's ticked. By the way, it's a good idea. We're going to be hearing for it for a few weeks. It's not that long. Go home and read the book of Galatians. And why was he angry? Because he knew. He knew from firsthand experience how much of a role being obedient to the law had played in establishing the relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father that he now knew? And the answer was, not one bit. Paul knew, he knew from dramatic first-hand experience that for all of his religious rule-keeping, and he'd have been as good at it as anybody, better than most, he said, he was a sinner who knew the relationship he did now know with Jesus Christ and the Father was his purely as an undeserved and unearned gift, which had come to him not on the path of his personal righteousness, but rather on the road to Damascus, which was exactly the wrong path. Paul's very favorite word to describe having all that in ours is ours in Christ as a completely undeserved and unearned gift. Do you know what his favorite word was? Grace. I actually did a word count in the NRSV, the English translation. The word grace appears in the Bible 107 times. Depending on who wrote, for example, the book of Hebrews, Paul or not, either 82 or 88 of those 107 times the word grace is used in the Bible it is used by Paul. Paul who as he wrote the book of Galatians was angry and what he was angry about was the fact that our God of amazing grace was now being represented to the Galatians as just one more religious scorekeeper keeping track of who's naughty and who's nice who's done enough and who hasn't. Who follows the rules and who doesn't? Who's good and who's isn't? Who's better and who's worse? And then who loves and saves people accordingly? Paul's angry when he writes the book of Galatians, in other words, but this is holy anger. For it is anger at those who would take the gospel's great good news of all that Jesus has done to save sinners and turn it into one more list of things sinners need to start doing in order to be saved. Because once the gospel is turned into just one more religious rule book, it happens. Over and over again it happens, almost inevitably it happens. The world and the church are divided by the church into the us's and the them's, the rights and the wrong's, the good enough's and the not so much's, the worthy who are saved for their worthiness and the unworthy whom in the end will be damned for their unworthiness. To be clear, however, though Paul is angry when he picks up pen and paper to write Galatians, by the time he's done, there's a whole lot more than just anger in his letter to the Galatians. There's also to be found in this book, he did start angry, some of his most passionate and profound summations of the good news of God's grace and the implications of being a church that is gathered by grace one of which we read today, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, not according to the law, not according to genealogy, not according to rule keeping, not according to a symbolic surgical procedure but heirs, rather, according to God's promise. Promises being the primary M.O. of grace. It is Juneteenth. Paul reminds us that in Christ's church, gathered by grace, there is no such thing as status or privilege based on the color of one's skin. And we do well to be righteously angry, when we confront such. We celebrate today our relationship with our companion congregation, the Cathedral Parish of the Pari Diocese of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tanzania. Paul reminds us that in Christ's church, gathered by grace, all relationships are between equals. Each with something to give, each with something to receive, for we are all forgiven sinners who stand on the completely level and equal ground of God's grace. And he reminds us too, Kajiru and Ruth, he reminds us that more than us being Tanzanians and Americans, which we are, and that's a fine thing, but there is something more than that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ who is a citizen of nobody's country, who sings most loudly nobody's national anthem, and who, if he has a preference at all, prefers those in need in every country and calls those who can to do what they can to lend a hand and to be angry, righteously so, when Christians marry themselves and their religion, not to the values of the gospel, but to the values of, for example, capitalism or nationalism, or the end justifies the means, political activism, or me first-ism. It is Iowa City's Pride weekend. Paul reminds us explicitly that in Christ's church, gathered by grace, there is no such thing as status or privilege based on whether one is male or female. I am of the belief that had Paul known things then that we do know now he would have not said a couple of things he did say and would now say instead that standing on the absolutely equal ground of God's grace are males and females and others whose experience of gender and identity and attraction and love aren't so binary as that and maybe he would even feel righteous anger when others try to force them to be for some of course including some preachers who follow Paul into Galatia including some very loud voices of Christian bodies in our country today grace so radical as that needs to be dialed back because it makes them feel nervous feels like a slippery slope I mean, you take grace that far, before long you'd be saying that God loves everybody. <laughs> to which I say, indeed. And I think that's a slope worth slipping down. <clears throat> a peachy 13 story. I was helping to serve the free lunch program a couple months ago. Three young men, uh, not white, a uh, lot of ink. A lot of heavy jewelry uh, with the way they were dressed it all added up to looking like a lot of stereotypes that, that it was easy to come up with. They came up to me, and I was wearing my, my rainbow collar, and one of the guys pointed it at me, and he pointed to it, and he said, Are you saying that God loves faggots? In hindsight, um, perhaps I should have, but in the spur of the moment, I, I didn't think to, uh, it was the right time to offer some alternative vocabulary. Um, so instead I said yes I am he paused I did not know where this was going to go till what he said to me was cool (laughs) to which I say indeed Because why? Because, oh my, speaking of favorite hymns. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind. was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I had first believed through many dangers Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come, tis great.